Amen. Luke chapter 1, turn there with me today. Last uh, Sunday we were in John chapter 1 talking about in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And we started a series called Giving the Heart of Christmas. Christmas is all about giving, isn't it? We talked about last week that we have this attitude that we brought since we were little that Christmas is all about what I get. And this Christmas, our congregation is, is in giving mode. And I want to just say to you as your pastor how proud I am of all of you as you have participated over the last several months. Uh, just this morning, we had some little kids coming in and their family had bought some presents some gifts for the children, and mom escorted the little kids in our, our toy room, and they got to take the bags open and take their gifts and put them up on the shelf, and I was just thanking the little kids for just blessing other little kids, and uh, so many of you have brought clothing, in fact, so much that we had to say stop on the clothing, and uh, not just clothing, but some really nice, nice stuff. And that's been our heart from the beginning. We don't want to give somebody junk, something that we wouldn't wear ourselves. And um, looking forward to our time upstairs. Sandy's going to renovate the whole upstairs into a winter wonderland. And uh, we'll have tables with uh, cloth, tablecloths on them and china and serving uh, the people of our community that... God would would do the same. Jesus would be here at Go Christmas. He would be here and be ministering to them. We're going to be presenting the gospel. We'll have a a prayer room where we can pray for needs and believe in God for healings and salvations on the 15th. Amen? As well as wonderful, wonderful blessings. Amen. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 1. Father, we thank you for your word today. We... uh, As we read it, we ask, Holy Spirit, you are the one who leads and guides into truth, and you are the one who teaches us, and we ask you to teach us today, Holy Spirit. We ask you to just uh, come into our eyes, our ears, our very being, Lord God, see through us, hear through us, touch through us, and as we read your word, speak whatever you're wanting to speak to individual hearts today, and for that, we'll give you thanks and praise, amen. Let's read 25 verses. We don't usually read this many verses in Scripture, but read along with me. I'm reading from the New International Version. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled, this translation says, among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have certainly or carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I hope you know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Amen? I hope you know why you know what you know. I hope you know why you believe what you believe. In the same time, in in the time of Herod, king of Judah, 
There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Wow, don't you wish that could be said about you? Don't you wish that could be said about you? That that individual is blameless. This is recorded in Scripture. This is in, listen, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about Elizabeth and Zechariah, that they were blameless in the sight of God. It's an awesome indictment upon them. But they had no children because of Elizabeth, who was barren, and they were both well along in years. That's a nice way of saying old. They were well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. How many wouldn't mind that happening to you? He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Come right out of the womb, speaking in tongues. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) Maybe babies are doing that now. I don't know. Some of us have a hard time interpreting that baby talk. Many of the people of Israel will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? It's an interesting question. It's a very interesting question. In light of the circumstance, it's an interesting question. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife... He's tactful. I am an old man and my wife is an old bag. He didn't say that. He says, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Isn't that nice? He's a very gentle husband. My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. Good to meet you, Zach. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. I don't know if that was the good news he was sending. but And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Underline that phrase in your Bible, which will come true at their proper time. How many know the Lord gives a word but there's a proper time? Galatians Four, four says that in the fullness of time, God said, God has a time. God has a word. God always has a word. But God also has a time attached to the word. And sometimes we try to hurry up the time with the word. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, probably because she was having some morning sickness. The Lord was done, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I want to talk to you about three things that were given here as we're talking about Christmas is all about giving. There were three things given. The first one we see in the first four verses, there was an orderly account given. An orderly account. And we we know that from history that Luke, the writer, the author of the book of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, that Luke is a doctor. And I'm glad that doctors have an orderly way of looking at things, aren't you? But doctors have a a way of scrutinizing things, and I like what Luke says. He says, the things that have been fulfilled, accomplished, transpired, or have been surely believed. That word that we have in the the NIV where it says uh, have been fulfilled, other translations render it have been accomplished, or things that have transpired, or things that have surely been believed by other people. Luke is saying, this is what I am writing to you. He's wanting, to, wanting us to know that the account that he's giving us here in Scripture is something that we can look at and believe in and trust the value or the validity of what indeed was written. And then they were eyewitnesses, he says, that people literally saw this. See, people were around when they saw what happened to Zechariah. They saw what happened to Elizabeth. And more importantly, as he goes on later in the book, he starts telling of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, the life of Christ. He has people who were eyewitnesses, and they're saying, hey, this is not something that I heard of. This didn't come down through the grapevine, but we literally saw Jesus raise the dead. We literally saw Jesus lay hand on the sick. We saw the cripple jump up and run. We saw those who were mute begin to talk. We saw those who were deaf begin to speak. We saw those who had blinded eyes. All of a sudden they could see. We saw Jesus do this. This wasn't something that we heard from somewhere else and somebody else, but we literally saw it happen. So when Luke's recording this, this orderly account was given to us so that you and I reading it today can have confidence in that. In fact, there's more scriptural and historical evidence that Jesus existed than some of the presidents of the United States. You understand that? There have been many atheists who have studied scripture trying to prove how wrong the Bible was only to get saved because of the overwhelming mound of evidence that Jesus Christ really is who he said he is. And Luke's giving that account. Could someone turn the air on in here? Anybody else getting warm? A couple of you. Good. I'm with you. Luke says that I investigated everything carefully. And I'm so glad that he did. That he didn't just even take what somebody said, but the scripture says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So one person may have come to Luke and said, this is what I saw. And somebody else come and say, this is what I saw. And then you mesh them together. And this is what, you know, if we were to all uh, see an event, we'd all see it a different way. 
Some of us would be concerned about some part of the event. Some of us are concerned about the other part of the event. But Luke's saying, I've listened to all the testimonies that I could listen to. And I'm putting together an account that's accurate for you. And then next he says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you were taught. I'm not just writing account for account's sake, but I want you to know Theophilus. And it's speculated who Theophilus may be. Theophilus, um, because he uses the phrase before it, most excellent Theophilus, that's generally a term that we read two other occasions in the New Testament, and it's always referred to as it's placed there before uh, uh, someone that was in authority in the Roman government. So it's thought that uh, this, this Theophilus, by the way, the word Theophilus, the name Theophilus means friend of God. So some, are, some, think, some uh, scholars think that this is just simply written to all those who are friends of God. We want you to know, friends of God, that this is an accurate account. But others think that perhaps Theophilus was a disciple of Luke himself or a disciple that somehow Luke had some close interaction with. And he's, he's saying to this undercover Christian, as, as it were, in the Roman government that, hey, Theophilus, we want you to know that what we're telling you, this is accurate writing. And the Romans were great at taking uh, accuracy in what they, they produced in their documents. And so he's saying, saying to Theophilus, I want you to know that this isn't some hokey thing. What I'm recording to you is something that's accurate. So we have this orderly account in the first four verses. And when I read something like that, I say, well, that all sounds nice to us. But what does it mean to us today? What does it mean that there are accurate accounts written What does it do for us? Because it's easy for us to read stories like we have today and lose sight of what it may mean. How do I apply that to my life? How does that mean anything to me? It means that we can trust what has been written. For you and I, we can read what's here in the Gospel of Luke and we can trust what God has written to us. That, that, That everything we place our hope and trust in is true. Listen, to just blindly follow Jesus Christ is, is admirable, but it's, it's, it's not wise for any of us to follow anything blindly without searching it out. And listen, Luke has done all the homework for you. He's done all the research for you. If you want to know, Luke's done an accurate account. So when we read this today, we say, well, I know that's kind of cute and that's kind of nice. No, no, no. This is a historical fact that God did come in the form of a baby and he did live a life and he did miraculous things. And for you and I today, we can believe that because Jesus said, I'm going away, but greater things than this shall you do. I want you to see what I did, but I want you to know it doesn't stop there. I'm passing it on to you. You're part of my body. I'm the head. You're the hands, the feet, the legs, the arms, the heart, the little pinkies. You're the body of Christ, and you're going to do greater things than I ever dreamed of doing. God's releasing his power throughout the church. But it also says that our days are numbered when we have this accurate account. You know that all of us in this room, our days are numbered by the Lord? Our days are numbered. The scripture says we have 70 years and, oh, if it was good for you, maybe 80. So some of us are really going on overtime. Some of us are working our way to that. But our days are ordered. And by the way, none of us know that today might not be the day of expiration for us. Not something we're excited about thinking about, but today could be expiration date for you. Not that that's such a bad thing. Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. How many would be okay with that? We're all dying to get to heaven. We just don't want to go now, right? (laughs) But as I read this, I always think about the scripture which says that God knows the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. 
God is taking an accurate account of our life. Who's the one that really penned this gospel? And we can say Luke, but the scripture tells us in Timothy that these things were inspired of God, means that every thought and idea was inspired by God. Men simply were the human hand that wrote the thoughts and ideas of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows your life. He knows your beginning from your end. And can I just say to you this morning that no matter how bad your life has been, no matter how broken or how sinful or, or wicked it might be, God's intention for you is to transform you, to take you from the darkest of dark and translate you into his marvelous light. To bring you a future, to bring you a hope because he loves you. God didn't create you for wickedness. He created you for his glory. And he wants to put within you the power and the anointing of his son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit so that you can live a life that's honoring and glorifying to him. It's God's intention, but he's keeping record of our lives. He knows the beginning from the end. The scripture goes on to tell us that he even knows the hairs of our head. He knows how many of these are gray, and how many are black, and how many are in between. And for some of you, he's getting to relax a little more. He's got less hairs to count. I was watching some of our services on the internet the other day, and I noticed when I preach, I have my head down a lot. And so the video camera is right about head level. So I just see the bald spot there, and I said, Jesus, your glory is so strong, it's reflecting off my head. You understand how much God loves you? That if he's keeping accurate records of your life, because the scripture says that he sees every sparrow. You think how plentiful sparrows are. I mean, they're, little, they're everywhere. Sometimes we ignore them. But they're there and they're singing to us. They're singing to God. They're filling creation with a beautiful little chirping sound. And God says that he sees every one of those sparrows. And when one of those falls, he takes notice of it. But he doesn't stop there in that verse in Matthew. He says, he goes on to say, if I see that little sparrow and I'm not concerned about a little sparrow, how much more am I concerned about you? So in this Christmas story, when we have an accurate account being given to us, please understand that you and I are playing into the story because God is still keeping an accurate account. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your gifts. He knows your strengths. He knows how handsome or ugly you are, how fat or skinny you are, how tall or how short, and he loves you just the way he made you. He's your heavenly father, and he's keeping a real accurate account. I don't know about you, but if he's keeping that kind of accurate account, it makes me want to invest in my life a little better. Amen? I want him to look at my, my account book and say, Joe, you've got a lot of wonderful investments here. You've got a lot of deposits in your life that are awesome. And secondly, we see that there was an open womb given. I love this part of the story. It's not the only occasion we have in Scripture where God gave a barren womb uh, the ability to bear children. But here we have this woman who is up in years. She's well along in life. And God decides, I don't know about you, but when I read what Elizabeth said, that, wow, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm favored by you. At that age, I'm thinking, 
I don't know how much favor that would be. I mean, I, I, I don't know how. Let's, let's just say she's, well, let's, let's go conservative. Let's say she's 60. How many ladies, how many ladies in their 60s are here? Do you dare tell us? Okay, Linda, down, are you, wow, I want to put you in your 30s. Okay, Jude, others of you in their 60s. How many, Judy, if an angel showed up to you and said, oh, blessed, highly favored are you, Judy, today you're going to give, you're going to get pregnant. <laughs> Linda, if an angel showed up to you and said, today you're going to conceive and give birth to a son, what, what, what would you do? Would it, would it be, oh, yay, or oh, me, or oh, my? I, you know, I hear this story, and I see Elizabeth's response. I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty brassy for a woman her age to be up in years and say, cool, God, this is going to be exciting. See, what she probably understood is when God speaks a word, hear this, when God speaks a word, we call them rhema words. When God speaks a word, you hear that word. Your spirit hears it. Or physically, you hear it in your ears. However, you receive that word from the Lord. When God speaks a word, everything that's needed to accomplish what was spoken is in the word itself. And so Elizabeth understood that God, I don't, I don't understand, first of all, how I can get pregnant. But secondly, how this, this old body can actually carry a child for nine months and give a healthy birth. I mean, we have young ladies that struggle with giving a healthy birth, but here's, here's Elizabeth, and she's saying, oh, I'm favored. I'm blessed of God. It's just an amazing story to me. So there's a few things that make this meaningful. First is that Elizabeth was well along in years, and that favor was shown to her and disgrace was removed from her. We have to understand the culture that in this setting, if you were barren, it was thought in, at least in the Jewish or the Hebrew culture, that somehow God had cursed you and because you weren't able to produce children, there was something in your life that God was displeased with. Right or wrong, I don't know, but that was the mindset and so a woman that was barren, and, and as Jane pointed out in our staff meeting this week, that generally it was the woman who got the blame for this, the barrenness. If there was no children being produced, it was the woman's fault. You know, it could potentially have been the man. But in this culture, it was always the woman's fault. It was always the woman's fault. And so we have this, when, we talk, when, when Elizabeth uses this word disgrace, what she's saying is all of that shame that I, Elizabeth, have somehow... Now, we know earlier in the Scripture that God looks at her and says she's blameless. So what the culture is saying, how many know the culture will say to you something then other than you really are in, in the way God sees you? You may have relatives that tell you you're stupid. You may have a mom and dad that tell you you'll never amount to anything, but when God looks at you, he sees something totally different. Amen? And so we have Elizabeth who has listened to the culture her whole life. And now in her, well, she's up in years. She says, now all the disgrace has been lifted. It's been taken out of my life. And God has shown favor on me. What does that mean to us today? Well, in a natural sense that God is able to do miracles at any age of the recipient. 
God's able to do miracles at any age of any recipient. He's not bound in human terms as we are. He didn't look at Elizabeth and go, oh man, I waited too long. Now she's too old to have kids. Now what am I going to do? I got to find someone else to come up with a good plan here. See, God's not bound by what you and I are bound by. Listen, some of you are here today and you're saying in the natural, this is impossible. That ought to make you smile. Listen to me. If you're walking in the things of God, if you're walking in the economy of God, if it's impossible in the natural, it only means that it's a great candidate for a miracle of God. If it's impossible in the natural, it only means that God is going to show him stronger and mightier in the situation. It only means that God's power will be released in a way that you cannot get the credit for it or some man cannot get the credit for it. But God will receive all the glory. And in a spiritual sense, God is able to cause anyone at any age to have a new birth. We just did a funeral yesterday for a woman who lived most of her life without Christ. And in her last days, Pastor Steve and other people were ministering to her. And in the weakness of her body, she was able to indicate that she was calling. She couldn't even physically speak the words. But in the weakness of her body, she indicated that, yes, I want to accept God as my Savior. I want to accept this Jesus Christ. Listen, in the natural, I don't care how impossible it may look. To God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And so we see that no matter our age, physically he's able to do whatever he wants to do, but spiritually, salvation can come to anyone. Some of you in this room have been praying for for people to get saved, maybe family members, and at times you've wanted to throw your hands up and say, God, it's never gonna happen. Don't you quit praying. When all seems lost, God's able to show up and show himself strong and mighty, amen? Amen. But in both a natural and a spiritual sense, he was able to show his favor upon us and to remove us from the disgrace that was upon our life. Do you understand without Jesus Christ, we, we, we were disgraced. Without Jesus Christ, we had this weight of guilt and condemnation and sin on our life that caused us to do things that, that oftentimes we didn't even want to do even in our sinful state. It carried us down a road that, that caused brokenness and heartache. But God, in any moment, in, this, in, in a split second, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can transform us, naturally or spiritually, and bring life to what seems like a broken and dead situation. How many of you accepted Jesus Christ and you understand what I'm talking about? Raise your hand really high. Make, make heaven happy. Come on. Somebody make heaven happy today and make the devil really ticked off. Amen. Because he took you out of that realm of darkness and translated you into the marvelous light. That word John, the name John, the one that was inside Elizabeth, the one well up in years that's inside Elizabeth's womb now. That name John means Jehovah has been gracious. Pastor Steve opened by talking about grace today. And, 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 and even yesterday in the funeral, the word grace The grace means God's divine empowerment upon our lives, that God empowers you. God's able to do that. That name John is, that Jehovah is gracious. 
and he's shown favor. And the last thing I want to look at in the 18 to 22 verses is a confirming word was given. I love confirming words. Don't you like when you got something in your spirit and another brother or sister comes over and says, hey, thus saith the Lord, and your spirit goes, ching, ching, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what God told me. I love when God confirms his word. See, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm thinking about the building downtown. I'm not blown away by the fact that there's a realtor sign out there today. I'm not blown away by the rumors we hear that they're going to tear it down, make it a parking lot. Because I don't really care what happens to that building. All I do care about is the word of God. And that word's been confirmed. However God chooses to perform that word, I'm up for that. When God spoke the word, his, his promise is already in that. We're just holding on to that promise and asking God to give us the timing for that. I want you to imagine that you are Zechariah. Come on, get yourself in this story today. You're a priest. You've got all the fancy robes on of the day. And the lot gets chosen. Zechariah... You get to go into the Holy of Holies this time and give the incense on the altar. Great honor, by the way. Scary time for any priest of that day because if they go into the Holy of Holies unholy, they get struck dead. In fact, they, they, they tell us that they had bells on the hem of their garment and they tied a rope around their ankles so that when they went into the Holy of Holies, if they were unholy and got struck dead, the bells stopped dinging as they fell over in the Holy of Holies. They could drag them out because they can't go in and get them because they'd be struck dead. God's really concerned about who comes into his presence. I said God's really concerned about who comes into his presence. He's given an open invitation to his son, Jesus Christ. He said, come boldly now into the throne of grace that you might receive help, mercy in time of need. Amen. That veil's been torn. No longer do we have to be fearful to come into Daddy's presence. But we get to go and jump into his lap because he's anxious for us to hang out with him. But put yourself in the story. Here's old Zach, and he's coming into the Holy of Holies. Somebody say old Zach. Old Zach comes into the Holy, and he's approaching. He's approaching. Picture the lights off in here. It's really dark in the Holy of Holies. And Zach comes in, and He's got the incense, and he's about ready to go to the altar. You know, I, what I did was, when I was reading this, I like to come in here on Saturday night, nobody's here, and spend time in prayer here. And, and I pictured myself here on a Saturday night. Lights are, I usually just have one little dimly lit light on. And I pictured myself coming up to the altar. I put myself in old Zach's shoes. I pictured myself coming up to this altar and just talking to the Lord. And all of a sudden, a being just appears right here. I, I'm honest with you. I, I'd probably be, yeah. I'd be wanting to find a restroom somewhere. I, I'm here, all, I know I'm all by myself in the room. I didn't hear any of the doors creak. I'm here in the room all by myself and boom, this angel shows up. Every occasion an angel shows up in Scripture, it says, and they were fearful. One, I think, just the element of surprise. Ta-da! Here I am! There's Gabriel. Boom! He just shows up. 
Zechariah is fearful. I love the question. Zechariah asked, how do I know that this is going to happen? <laughs> An angel shows up and talks to him. And he's bold enough to say, how do I know that's going to happen? Like, that wasn't cool enough. Like, you didn't scare me to death enough. Like, like you, didn't, you didn't just come out of nowhere and, and whoa, look at this massive angel. You, you, that wasn't enough for him. Like, how do I know this is going to happen? I, I imagine old Gabe going, oh, you stupid old man. Well, I'll tell you, Zach, how it's going to happen. From this day on, I'm going to shut you up. I don't like the way you're talking to me. I'm going to shut you up. How many know God needs to shut us up sometimes? <laughs> I said, how many know God needs to shut us up sometimes? And then I just had fun playing with the scripture. I was trying to picture old Zach doing charades once he comes out of the holy place. I mean, what did, it, what did it look like? We miss the fun of Scripture sometimes, don't we? I imagine old Zach trying to do the games of charades, and the Scripture says that they knew that he couldn't talk because he was signing to them. He did a pretty good job. He signed well enough that they understood what was going on. Well, something happened, something miraculous, something supernatural, something out of the ordinary happened to the one who drew the lot that day. Today, you and I don't have to depend on angelic visitation because when Jesus left, he said, go and tarry and I'll send you the promise of the Father. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that one who comes alongside of us and he leads and guides us into truth. For many of us, when we hear those words, it's important how we steward them. It's important what the Holy Spirit says to you. What are you going to do with what the Holy Spirit says to you? I want to say again as a pastor how, how proud I am of the way many of you are beginning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and you're releasing that into the body of Christ. Whether it's a prophetic word or whether it's just simply this is a directive word that Lord speaking, a confirming word perhaps, or just a word of encouragement to somebody, but you're beginning to flow and release that. That's not a science. There's, there's not a book that you can read and say, if you do this and you do this and you do this, then you'll hear the Holy Spirit. See, it's a matter of just simply training your spirit to hear something other than the physical realm. Listen to me. The season that the church worldwide, the body of Christ, is moving into will be a season that is earmarked by those who hear what the Spirit is saying to it. The idea of religion may indeed linger, but it will be void of any power and anointing. 
But those who walk in the Spirit will hear a greater measure of the Word of God because it'll be a directive word. It'll be a word of power. It'll be a word of soundness. It'll be a word of provision. It'll be a word of protection, whatever it might be. But the Holy Spirit is going to elevate His voice in this season. And those who are born of the Spirit will hear the Spirit of God when He speaks. For many of us, it's a matter of fear, just as Zechariah when we hear that word. Listen, some of you in this room today, over the past years, have come to me and you've said, Pastor, I felt like God was saying this to me in the service, but I was afraid to say anything. I was afraid to speak what he said. Just as Zechariah was fearful in that presence of an angelic being, we are fearful in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hear me today. God's wanting us to move out of that spirit of fear and into a realm where we have authority and we speak what God hears what we hear God saying we kick into human mode when we hear the Holy Spirit now I want some of you to track me with this because this is indeed what happens we hear the Spirit of God speak to us and we go into instead of a spiritual mode which is happening right there we're right in the presence of God God spoke to us by his Spirit We all of a sudden transform ourselves from the spiritual realm to a natural realm because we're more confident in our flesh than we are in our spirit. And this is what happens. We begin to question the word. We go through this process. Was that God or was that? No, that can't be me. That's that's God. No, that's, that's, that's not God. That's me. And we wrestle with this word that was spoken. And then we begin to reason it away. Well, if that really was God, why would he say this? And why did he say it that way? And why did... We start to reason, which again is a human, natural, carnal function, fleshly function, if you will. And usually we come to the conclusion, conclusion that our flesh is so uncomfortable with it that we discard it rather than presenting the word as the Holy Spirit wanted it to be presented. And Father God becomes grieved. The Spirit of God becomes grieved because we have indeed quenched the Spirit. When you reason the Word away, you quench what the Spirit of God... It's like having an amber with red hot fire in there and pouring water on that. It's gone. The purpose for the fire is gone. No longer has value. It's just dried up, cold, wet, soggy material. But if we release the word, it's like going, it's no longer a red amber. It becomes a burning flame. And when others hear it, those that have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, it becomes fire in their spirit. It's like when, when, when they were leading worship today, there was, you could, there was one time that I just had this huge Cheshire grin on my face and like, God, this is the volume we've been wanting to hear because there was just this eruption of worship that happened. I was like, yes, yes, yes. That's it, that's it. Because what was happening? Our spirit was saying yes to what the spirit of God was saying through the worship leaders. They're like, yes, we're there, we're there. See what happened? A little amber became a fire in our spirit. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't make you mute every time we do the reasoning thing? 
Imagine how many times we have quenched the Spirit. Aren't you glad God didn't zip your lip for a while? Say, I want to teach you how to listen to me. You don't believe the word I just spoke to you? I'm going to mute you for a while. I like that mute feature on my remote control, don't you? Some of you wish you had that for your kids. Kids said that. Hey! Yeah, sometimes we wish we had the mute button. We're just going to be honest. But God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't do that to us. Today, we heard about some more of God's gifts in the Christmas story. And this Christmas, would you be putting yourself in the posture, the position to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and open your heart for the King of the universe, the ruler and creator of all things, to bring order to your life, to continue to bring an accurate account of his glory and his presence and his power in your life. Perhaps if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, would you, would you allow your barren womb, so to speak, to open up and receive birth today? A spiritual birth, as it were. A reflection of God's goodness in your life that you allow God to come, Christ in us, God, Emmanuel, God with us. Would you allow him to come and cause you to be born again today? He wants to be born in you. And for the rest of us, sir, this Christmas season, in the midst of stores and buying gifts and parties and all the things that this season has in it, in the midst of the dinging bells of Salvation Army and, and the crowds and, and sail in aisle seven, in the midst of all that, Can we open our ear? Can we hear what God's saying to us? Maybe there's someone in the store who's really having a hard time. God might say to you, hey, pay for that single mom's groceries today. Hey, there's a a little old lady here. She's struggling to get to her car with her. Would you just be my hands and push her carriage and help her with her groceries? In the midst of the season, can we stop being so seasonally carnal and become spiritually sensitive to what God's saying to us? And maybe it's your tradition of sitting around the room on Christmas morning and you have the things that you always do Would you be okay if the Holy Spirit showed up in your living room this Christmas and said, hey, would you do something just a little different? Would you ask your six-year-old boy if he's ever asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart? Would you allow salvation to happen in your living room this morning? Would you ask that unsaved husband, that unsaved wife that you've been praying for forever, when you sit around the Christmas tree this year, would the Holy Spirit say to you, ask them if they want to receive the Christ child again in a new and a fresh way in their life? Are you open to that? Let the Lord speak a confirming word to you this Christmas. Bow your heads with me.
Father, we bless and thank you. You are so good. We thank you for orderly accounts, open wombs, and confirming words. You've given us so much in this Christmas season, Lord God. Help us to walk in that today. There's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as the personal Savior. I'm just going to give you an invitation to accept him today. And, you know, there's nothing really you need to do on our account. You don't need to sign any paperwork or anything. You just need to, right where you're at, just say, God, I recognize Jesus as a gift to me to forgive me of my sin. I can't get rid of sin on my own. I need you, God, to come and free me from sin and be born in me today. I want to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you. Would you come into my life? If you say something along that line, something, you know, the gist of that, Lord, you simply you want Christ to be real to you. Say that today to him. And if you did that, man, sometime in this week or today, would you, would you just connect with me and say, Pastor, I want you to know that I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And we want to help you walk on your new spiritual journey. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Pastor Wiley, would you come?